Hey, you are listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Seven Mile Road. We are a gospel-centered church just north of Boston, Mass. To learn more about who we are and what we are going for together, just go to sevenmilemelrose.com. Each Sunday of our lives, we give ourselves to hearing the gospel preached. It's what we do. Remember that the pastor or the speaker is not primarily speaking to your intellect, although he is. You'll learn some things. He's also not primarily speaking to your feelings, although you're supposed to be moved by gospel truth. He's speaking to your soul, to your conscience, to your heart. That's the place where God accomplishes his work by his spirit and changes you, and then everything flows from there. So listen, not just with your ears, but listen with your heart today. Let me start with a big idea, because without it, the words that we just heard from Jesus won't make any sense. So here it is. The Christian life is a life of gospel-fueled obedience. Here's what we mean by this. We come to God with empty hands. We don't bring any works, any obedience of ours to the table. A Christian is one who has come to see the end of themselves, the hopelessness of their life as it is. And all we can do is come to God in need of grace and mercy. This is why when Jesus began the sermon that we're finishing today, he said what? Blessed are the poor, the ones who are not self-secure, self-reliant. We are saved by grace. When we are saved by grace, our lives get changed from the inside out, and all of a sudden our hearts begin to desire communion, fellowship, with Christ and obedience to Christ. You know how if you have a tree and it's a healthy tree and it's an apple tree, when you come to that thing in October, what are you gonna find? Apples, fruit, that's the way a tree works. Jesus teaches us that's the way the gospel life works. If you belong to him, you will bear fruit. You will go after obedience with all that you have. The gospel life is a life of glad, gospel-fueled obedience. This is the road that we walk on. All right. We are in perpetual danger of falling off that road in opposite directions. So last week... We dropped our son, Brandon, off at college. So you're not going to see this kid for the next 10, 12 weeks, whatever. It was such an excellent time. You would have been so proud of him. And it was just sweet to be down there with our family and be like, go for it. Go for it. On the drive back, you know, you get hungry and you're like, I don't want another bag of chips. I need to eat something now. So we're coming somewhere in northern Pennsylvania and I see the sign. White Castle. Is anybody familiar with this place? All right, this is a dividing line in human life, right? 2% of the human population adores White Castle. 
98% of the population literally would rather not eat and starve out in the street than eat at White Castle. Because of my grandmother in Queens who brought me up on lunch at White Castle, whenever I'm near one, I'm in, I'm in. But I'm trying to be a good non-bossy dad, so I was like, hey, there's a White Castle and a Chick-fil-A. How about we pull off of this exit? And the girl said, great, let's do it. So the way that this worked is the White Castle was first. A mile down the road was the Chick-fil-A. So I said, let me jump out of the car here, and then you girls can drive to Chick-fil-A. I will go do my business at White Castle, and then you can spin around and get me on the way back. Well, it was one of those roads that wasn't built for pedestrians, so there's no sidewalks. It's like a mini turnpike entrance to the turnpike. Well, in order to get to White Castle, I had to walk on this wall, and on the left-hand side was the racing traffic, and the right-hand side was a culvert of some sort. There was a 20-foot drop. So I'm 48. I don't have my old balance. I'm very carefully doing this. You feel that? This is the gospel life. Jesus said narrow is the way. We are constantly trying to keep balance and not fall to the left or the right. And it's true with this big idea. So one of the ways that we can lose our balance is this. We can lose sight of the gospel piece of this thing. We can think that our salvation is dependent upon us keeping everything together and we end up always, 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 always fretting. Am I still good with God? Am I still good with God? Does he still love me? Am I still okay? I got married in the wintertime in Massachusetts, March 30th, 1996. What is the biggest fear that you are carrying into that wedding day? Other than the chance that she might not show up, that is a perpetual fear. What's the other fear? It's gonna snow like two feet and nobody's gonna show up at this wedding. And so in this day, there wasn't weather underground or weather channel or iPhones or the internet. That's how old I am. So in order to check the weather, you had to look at the newspaper or you had to watch it on TV. Well, for like two weeks leading up to March 30th, 1996, I was so worried about the weather. Is it going to be freezing? Is it going to be icy? Is it going to be snowing? Constantly, constantly thinking, can we just get 50 degrees and sunny just for this one day, just for those four hours? I was anxious about it. You feel that? This is not how we are to live the Christian life. It's not supposed to be a perpetual anxiety about how am I doing? Am I doing enough? Am I okay? Am I still in? How am I doing? Am I doing enough? Am I okay? Am I still in? That's not it. What a Christian does is remind themselves of what Christ has done and rests in that grace freely given to us. We can't fall off to that side and lose the gospel peace. Okay, then there's a whole nother side that we can fall into, and it's this one. We can lose sight of the obedience peace. So there is this dirty logic out there, and it's been out there forever, and it goes something like this. Well, if Christ has already done the work, it doesn't matter what I do. You feel it? And this presumption sets in, and we start to pay no attention and give no regard to our behavior at all. One time, a long time ago, I said a prayer, I made a decision, I filled out a card, I walked down an aisle to the front and raised my hand. 
I think I even became a member of the church. I'll have to look it up. I'm not sure. But it happened. I'm with Jesus. I'm a Christian. I'm all set. That is not how this works either. Imagine if you met somebody and they were like, I'm a drummer. I'm a drummer. That's what I am. That's my thing. I'm a drummer. Neil Pearl, Ringo Starr, Phil Collins, Animal from the Muppets, and me. We're drummers. That's what we are. And then you were like, cool. What band are you in? And then they were like, no, man, I'm not in a band. You're like, all right. Do you play at church? Or... No, no, I don't play at church. So what do you do? Just kick back on the weekends like Saturday morning, put the headphones on and that's your groove? No. I haven't played drums in like 20 years. All right, do you at least have a drum set? Totally, I got a drum set. I told you I'm a drummer. Well, where is it? Take you down to their basement, right? New England basement, so it's steep and narrow. You get down there and you scan the room and there's no drum set set up anywhere. Where's the drums? Oh, they're behind the washing machine. So then you go into this corner that nobody's been in for a decade and there's mice and spiders and there's a bass drum and there's a hi-hat with no pedal, a couple of cymbals and some sticks. What are you gonna say to that person? I hate to break it to you, but I don't think you're a drummer. Your words, your profession is not lining up with the reality of your life. This is the ditch that we can fall into and Jesus is urgently warning you about it in these words. All right, has everybody heard this phrase before? Have you heard the phrase lip service? You heard this before? Lip service, what is this? Everyone knows? This is when what you do with your words, you say stuff that you don't really mean and you have no intention at all of backing up. We say, I was just paying them lip service. And we do this when there is a lack of affection for or a lack of respect for the person we are speaking with. So you would never pay lip service to somebody that you loved or that you revered. Have you ever been in love before? I mean, how bad do you work so that what you say gets backed up with what you do? Like if your lover was coming in on JetBlue at 9 p.m. and you said to them, I will pick you up, would you ever just pay lip service to that? Never. You would be like, my entire day is going to be built around this one thing. I will be at the airport at 9 o'clock. That's all I'm thinking about. I'm filling my tank with gas. I'm putting air in the tires. Give it a wash down at the barn car wash at Route 60. I am going on ways at 2 p.m. And I am plotting out the route that will be the fastest. I'm going to get there at like 7 and I'm gonna find a good spot right by the terminal, and then I'm gonna watch on my Find My iPhone app as she lands and walks to the front. I will be there. Why? Love. How about respect and reverence? 
When I played high school basketball, Angelo Fantasia told me, Matt, when you show back up next year, you got to be stronger if you're going to make this team. This is what he told me. So in eight months, I went from being like Timmy size, 165, couldn't even bench the bar, spent my spring, summer, and fall at Nautilus Plus and Revere, and when I came back, I was 185, just throwing freshmen around. My lips were backed up with my actions. Why? Why? Because I was scared to show up and tell Coach Fantasia I, I didn't hustle this offseason. When you love somebody and you respect somebody, your life backs up what you say to them. You don't pay them lip service. When you don't, the opposite takes place, right? So you could probably give me a list of these things, but here's what we're talking about. Have you ever said this to somebody before? We'll come by for dinner sometime. And you have absolutely no intention of ever sharing a meal with these people. Have you done this? That's paying lip service. How about this one? I'll clean my room tonight. Dylan, have you said this? Isaac, Judah, Charlotte, I'll clean my room tonight. But you have no intention of actually cleaning that room. All right, how about this one? It's very troubling. We hired a contractor to do a brand new entrance to the church. It's going to be amazing. And you know what he said to me in June? We'll be done by the first week of August. We're going to knock this thing out in July, August 7th at the latest. Did anybody see anything new out front? I didn't miss it, right? He paid me lip service. And we're working on that right now. We do this all the time, right? How about this one? Yeah, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I'm a Christian. We can say those words with no intention of those words having evidence or landing in our lives because there's no true affection or true respect and reverence for Christ. All right, let's hit the words the words that I read to you before is the end of a sermon that Jesus preached. Jesus was a preacher. He was a preacher. He labored to teach gospel to these people. His sermons all had the same flow. He would kick the door down and open with a bang to get your attention. You know, like Mission Impossible or CSI before the commercial, they pull you in and you're like, I got to watch this movie. I got to watch this show. This is how Jesus preached. His first sentence had you. For example, how did he start this sermon? Blessed are the poor. And everybody was like, what is going on? I have to hear what he says next. That makes no sense. He would pull you in. Then in the middle, he would use everyday examples of real life. Real life. Jesus preaching was not a calculus class. Did anybody take calc or pre-calc? Oh my goodness, you had to like drink six coffees and two monster drinks just to be awake enough to focus. And then you have to lean in to understand. There's nothing wrong with that, right? The book of Romans is thick and slow and deep and it's beautiful. But when Jesus preached, he would say, hey, there's these two guys. They were building these two houses. Then this hurricane rolled in and everybody knew what he was talking about. We're hearing that today. And then Jesus would always end with a very sharp warning, with a very sharp warning that you not just listen, 
but that you live into the things that he was teaching you. Here's where we get uncomfortable. He would call people to obedience. You have to embrace what you just heard. And if we won't do it in love, he is trying to show us the dissonance in there. All right, so it was a very short text. This was the first thing that I read to you. Jesus asked this question, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but you don't do what I tell you to do? This was very sharp. Jesus was not soft. He was very aggressive. He always asked these heart level, heart piercing, piercing questions. And here's another one. You've been sitting here all day listening to me. You are identifying as my disciples. That's who this crowd was. And I have been calling you to all of these God-centered obediences. And you've been shaking your head. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. You're the man, Jesus. You're the boss. You're my Michael Scott. I'm following you. Tell me what to do. But then 10 seconds later, you are doing whatever you want. And Jesus is saying that is not how this works. The gospel life is a life of glad, gospel-fueled obedience. And if you think that is how the gospel works, there is a day that is coming when you're going to have to give an account for the life that you have lived. And then to drive the point home, he gave us that parable. Two guys building houses, one dug deep, one did not. Hurricane rolled in, streams rose. One house stood, one house crashed to the ground. Let's not miss the big ideas in that parable that Jesus gave us. Here's the first one I need you to hear. Everybody is building a house. Everybody is building a house. And the metaphor is this, you are building a life, okay? You're building a life. Nobody in this room listening to me or watching this live stream is not busy building a life. Everyone's building a life. Have you paused to think about that? What are the marks of that life? Everyone is building one. It's like a house. Then Jesus made this second point. Some of us build on obedience to Christ and some do not. Everybody hears, but some people do and some people don't. Action, no action. The contrast in here is in the doing. The person who builds their life on obedience to Christ, what is he calling me to do? And how do I say yes? That's like the guy that dug deep, 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 deep and hustled to make sure that his house was secure. The person who goes, eh, I'm gonna do what I wanna do. It's just me. I'm the boss of this life. That's like the person building with no foundation at all. Then the third thing that Jesus said was this, everyone will give an account for the house or for the life that they have built. Did you hear it in there? He said, and then the stream broke. The stream broke. 
This makes us very uncomfortable in postmodern American culture. This is talking about the judgment of God. That God is going to call to account all of us for the house that we have built. When I get ready to preach to you, it's got like this system, right? The first thing I do before anything else is memorize the words, think about the words, memorize the words, meditate on the words. Let the words first rock my heart. Then I study. What do the words say? What do they mean? What have other people said about these words? Then I think about you. What kind of language do I have to use so that you can understand what I'm saying to you? And then if I have time, the last thing I do is I listen to others preach about this so that I can humble myself and not be like, I got the best sermon ever on Luke 6. Who has taught on this and let me be shaped by them? Well, this time I only learned to very, listen to very recent sermons on this and it was unbelievable. Every single one of them only focused on the storm as hard times in life. That's what the storm is. Life gets tough. And then if you built a good life of obedience to Jesus, you'll stand. And if not, then your life will be exposed for being as fragile as it is. That's all they talked about. Is that a true application of these words? Sure. But it is not the one that the first hearers would have heard. And it is not the one that anyone in church history before 1980 would have said first. Jesus is talking about standing before God and giving an account for our lives. We will, each of us, do that. Jesus wants us to remember that it's coming and it comes suddenly. Now in his grace, he gives us so much time, so many reps, so much room to repent and believe, to repent and believe, to repent and believe so much time. But when it is time for his judgment to come, it comes super fast. Have you learned this just through natural history? If you were living in Kabul 10 days ago, your life was completely different than eight days ago. Have you seen this? In two days, everything unraveled. Did everybody see the Surfside tragedy in South Florida? Condo building, tall, and there was this stream problem, literal water was getting into the foundation and they had all the time in the world to address it and they even had published warnings with the authorities there about, hey, this is not on good ground. And then in a split second, the entire, it was devastating, the entire structure crashed to the ground. Read your Bible and you will see that this is how the judgment of God works. It comes fast. He is patient and long-suffering, but the day inevitably comes. And Jesus wants us to be ready for it. In the last line of the Apostles' Creed, it says these words, Christ will come to judge the quick and the dead, or the living and the dead. It's a doctrine of our faith. It's how this world works. Jesus knew it, and he was pleading with people to receive it. And then he gives us the last thing, and this was it. The last point is this. Hey, some houses will stand, and some will not. It's this beautiful contrast. Could not shake it. Could not shake it. 
the life of obedience. Great was its fall. Great was its ruin, is the life of disobedience. Here's a picture to show you. Can everybody see this? So this is a coastal town in Mexico. Hurricane ripped through. This is not photoshopped. And this was what was left. Can everybody see that one house? So there was an interview with the builders of this house. It was two contractors, two buddies. And they found them and they said, how did this work? The entire place got wiped out. <clears throat> and your one house is like, fine. And it was cool to watch because they said, well, what we did before we started was we said, we're going to build a house that could withstand a hundred year hurricane like the worst hurricane that could possibly come through in a hundred years, we're going to build a house that stands. And then they talked about how they did that. We all get this picture, right? This is all Jesus is trying to say to you in love. Judgment is coming for all of us. How can it not? We will stand before God and give an account for the house that we have built. And in his grace, through his gospel, we can live gospel-fueled lives of real obediences that are like building a house like this that will stand. What a great invitation. What a great promise. What a sharp warning that we are to receive. This is how Jesus ended his preaching. This is what he wanted you to leave with. All right, so here's our believe question for the morning. Which builder are you? Which builder are you? Are you a lip service Christian? Is that basically it? I heard this phrase, a creaster. Anybody heard that before? A creaster? Somebody who comes to church on Christmas and Easter and sings the songs and shakes the hands and then says, I'm a Christian. You are not a Christian just because you say it. You're not a Christian just because you got baptized. You're not a Christian just because you checked that box on the survey or you come to church or you live on the coattails of something that happened long in the past. You are a Christian because you have believed the gospel and now your life is evidencing that grace. You feel it? Let's translate into Bostonian. Why do you say to me, Lord, Lord? but not do what I say. How can we say, oh yeah, Christ, Jesus, I'm in, but straight up refuse to forgive and reconcile with someone who has sinned against us? How can those two things hold together? How can we say, oh yeah, Christ, the gospel, I'm in, man, that's me. But settle, settle into an unlawful sexual relationship. You can't do both. Remember our sister Rosaria Butterfield? She came to believe the gospel and her first obedience, she remembers it clearly, was to get out of the bed that she was sleeping in with her illicit lover and walk away. How could she say, oh yeah, I have Christ but settle into a life of sin. She couldn't do it.
How can we say, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. Jesus, gospel, I'm there. But never once open our homes, our lives, our church to the marginalized or the needy. If I told you that there was an Afghan family landing at Logan at 8 p.m., would you say, they got to come to my house? I will find room for them. Or would you go, eh, not my problem. That's going to infringe on my comforts. How can you say, Lord, Lord, but not live the life that I'm calling you to? How can you say, Lord, Lord, but never open your Bible when Jesus said, you can't live on bread alone. You need every word that God has spoken. How can you say, Lord, Lord, and Jesus is allowing you to make like $100,000, $200,000, $300,000 a year, and you give him like 1000 bucks or less? How can you say that and live that way? How can you say, Lord, Lord, but hate your enemies, trash them on social media, wish them personal harm? You can't do it. How can a man in this church say, I'm a Christian, I'm in with Jesus, I'm his, but refuse to love and cherish and pursue and provide for and live in an understanding way with his wife? How can a woman in this church say, Lord, Lord, I'm in with Jesus, then walk out of here and refuse to respect and love and submit to and care for and support her husband? How can a dad in this church say, Lord, Lord, yeah, yeah, Seven Mile Road, that's me, I'm a Christian, but then bully and exasperate and basically 24-7 just yell at their kids? How can you do that? What's Jesus' point? You can't. Don't pay lip service to Jesus. If you're going to say it, then own it and live it. All right, let's say that you were there with me and you were like, I have received grace, but that grace cannot terminate in selfish living. It needs to become obedience. How do I get there? Here's some pastoral ways for you to step into it, like today, this week. The first one is this. Work on your heart. Where does obedience come from? It comes from our hearts, right? This is why we're always saying, do your business with God. Be serious about opening your heart up to what God is calling you to. Not your feelings, your will. Let God, by His Spirit, do some work on your will, the center of you. If you've never gotten there, don't even eat lunch today. Just go find somewhere to get your heart right with God. That's first, a gospel-fueled obedience. Then the second thing is this, learn what Christ calls you to. How can you obey Jesus if you don't know what he intends for you to do and to be? 
Give yourself to the study of God's word, to participation in the life of your church, and learn. Jesus is calling me to this, and this, and this, and this, and it's beautiful, and I want in. Learn what obedience is God is calling you to. And then the last one is this. Let's just do it. Let's start obeying Christ in community. Let's just start today. For some of this, this is like the big, big rocks of your life, the big, big obediences. Some of you don't give. You love money. You're greedy. The best thing you could do today is to say, I'm getting the big rock of generosity settled in my life. I'm going to take action today to open my hands. Some of your hearts are like smaller than the Grinches right now with bitterness and unforgiveness. And you need to move today to say, I'm done with it and I'm going to call and reconcile with people that I need to so that my life can begin to get built on a rock. For some of you, the Lord's Day is a total joke. It's like once a month, maybe. You don't love what God calls us to not neglect gathering together. Big picture obedience, just settle in your calendar. All else equal, I'm there in obedience and love for Jesus. Whatever big sin is just a mess in your heart and your life right now, begin with that one and get it right. And then move to the everyday little rocks that just get built in the foundation of your life. Who is God calling me to love today? Who is he calling me to serve today? How can I be a gospel person in this circumstance, in this situation? Every single day, I'm digging deep, and I'm digging deep, and I'm building a house and a life that can stand. I am telling you, you got to believe me. If 125 people, that's all we got in this church, and our kids with us, would just settle there will be no more lip service, no more lip service in this church. We are going to give glad, gospel-fueled, costly obedience to Jesus. This place would be so happy and so magnetic, we would not know what happened. Let's go for that together. Let's pray.